Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and we are diving into a study of the 12 steps and 12 traditions. Today we are on step two, which is page 25 of your 12 steps and 12 traditions book. And this, this particular step is a really neat one. And man, is it challenging to so many people because it has the idea that there's a power greater than the drunken, defeated, completely life-destroyed, troublemaking, legally challenged alcoholic. That, that we actually come in wondering about this and fighting the idea that there's a power greater than us, defeated by alcohol, by an inanimate substance, by something that lives in bottles that owns us, that clearly is a power greater than us. So we struggle with this idea. So we're going to come into this from a different point of view. And I think the critical thing about step two is it's a notification. It's a notification that something's going to happen, that over time, there's going to be a belief, a way of, which is just a way of thinking in the affirmative, right? A way of thinking in the affirmative that there's something greater than you at work, that there's something changing you that's not deliberately you, right? You do something like focus on helping another person and it might be like moving them or something that's sometimes unpleasant. That's a lot of hard work, but through the camaraderie and the course of the day, you get in the car at the end of the day and totally unrelated to that, you feel great. You think you had a, well, a great day. You have the sense of connection to this other person. That's what we're talking about. So we're going to come to believe in this. We don't got to believe in this. It's not a roadblock for those of you that are like, I'm an atheist or I am agnostic. You have some sort of other label you'd like to travel this journey with. Just carry that into this with you. Just bring it. Try not to make it your identity. Try, and if you're religious, same thing. I'm Christian. I'm Hindu. I'm Muslim. I'm Sikh. I'm whatever. You know, just don't carry that identity with you into the steps. Let that identity build itself through the steps. So over time, you're going to come to believe in a power greater than yourself that can restore you to a frame of mind, a complete or whole frame of mind, complete or whole. Sanity just means incomplete, right? We don't have the whole thing together. It also means that we're capable of making sound decisions. And AA, I like to say, this is a, my own thought, is that it lets me make decisions with other people front and center in my mind, that I'm able to think about them first. So, you know, part of the thing with alcoholism, um, the last time I got a DUI was, of course, the night before my wife's birthday, right? I went out and drank myself stupid, not really thinking about the consequences of that and definitely not thinking about how this might affect her. So let's get started. Step two, page 25 came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Huh. The moment they read step two, the moment they, meaning the newcomers, read step two, most AA newcomers are confronted with a dilemma, sometimes a serious one. How often have we heard them cry out, Look what you people have done to us. You have convinced us that we are alcoholics and that our lives are unmanageable, having reduced us to a state of absolute helplessness you now declare that none but a higher power can remove our obsession? I mean, how totally ridiculous is that? I added that last part. Some of us won't believe in God. Others can't. 
and still others who do believe that God exists have no faith whatever he will perform his miracle. Yes, you got us over the barrel, all right, but where do we go from here? All right, well, here we go. Let's look at the case of the one who says he won't believe, the belligerent one. He is in a state of mind which can be described only as savage. Now, I don't think he means, you know, you guys are out there that are fighting this whole thing. I don't think he's trying to insult you. I think he's trying to say, it's a little out of control in your life. Perhaps what you want to do and the way you see the world isn't exactly right. And there's this possibility that something we're going to say here will help you. So just chill out, right? His whole philosophy, back to the book, his whole philosophy of life in which he so gloried is threatened. It's bad enough, he thinks, to admit alcohol has him down for keeps. But now, still smarting from that admission, he is faced with something really impossible. How he does cherish the thought that man, risen so majestically from a single cell in the primordial ooze, is the spearhead of evolution and therefore the only God that this universe knows. Must he renounce all this to save himself? <laughs> no. So, you know, at this juncture, his AA sponsor usually laughs. This, the newcomer thinks, is just about the last straw. This is the beginning of the end. And so it is. The beginning of the end of his old life and the beginning of his emergence into a new one. His sponsor probably says, and so we're saying this to you, people successful in AA, take it easy. The hoop you have to jump through is a lot wider than you think. At least I've found it so. So did a friend of mine who was a one-time vice president of the American Atheist Society. But he got through the, with room to spare. Hmm. So you don't got to believe anything. Just temper down, you savage, belligerent one. Here we go. Well, says the newcomer, I know you're telling me the truth. It's no doubt a fact that AA is full of people who once believed as I do. But just how, in these circumstances, does a fellow take it easy? That's what I want to know. Now, I'll tell you this, that I've had this conversation several times and no one's ever said that. <laughs> you know what? I've been, well, people have tried to drag me into theological debates and experiential debates and point fingers at religious texts and say, this is why they're wrong or right, as if any of that matters to this step. And none of it does. We share our experience, strength, and hope with the steps, the principles of the steps to get well, not our theology our opinions, and our practices that we don't share. It's not theology. You guys ready? That, agrees the sponsor, is a very good question indeed. I think I can tell you exactly how to relax. You won't have to work at it very hard either. Listen, if you will, to these three statements. You guys ready? Here we go. This is going to relax you, AA meditation. Here we go. First, Alcoholics Anonymous does not demand that you believe anything. All of its 12 steps are but suggestions. Second, to get sober and to stay sober, you don't have to swallow all of step two right now. Looking back, I find that I took it piecemeal myself. Third, all you really need is a truly open mind. So just take your opinions and put them in a trash can for the moment. We'll pull back out what we might want to keep. Just resign from the debating society and quit bothering yourself with such deep questions as whether it was the hen or the egg that came first. Again, I say, all you need is an open 
mind. And I think for me, that's somebody saying, you know, can you accept that maybe your position is wrong? All right, that's it. Not that I'm right, not that AA is right, not that some religious person is right or some spiritual practice is right, not that, not that. Just that there's a possibility that my point of view is wrong. The sponsor continues, take, for example, my own case. I had a scientific schooling. Naturally, I respected, venerated, even worshipped science. As a matter of fact, I still do. All except the worship part. Time after time, my instructors held up to me the basic principle of all scientific progress. Search and research. Again and again. Always with the open mind. When I first looked at AA, my reaction was just like yours. This AA business, I thought, is totally unscientific. This I can't swallow. I simply won't consider such nonsense. Then I woke up. I had to admit that AA showed results, prodigious results. I saw that my attitude regarding these had been anything but scientific. It wasn't AA that had the closed mind. It was me. The minute I stopped arguing, I could begin to see and feel. Hmm. Right there, step two gently and very gradually began to infiltrate my life. I can't say upon what occasion or upon what day I came to believe in a power greater than myself, but I certainly have that belief now. To acquire it, I had only to stop fighting and practice the rest of AA's program as enthusiastically as I could. There are your instructions. Don't worry about getting step two right. You're not going to do step two. Step two is going to do you. Over time, as you enthusiastically practice the rest of AA's program. Hmm. The book goes on. This is only one man's opinion based on his own experience, of course. I must quickly assure you that AA's tread innumerable paths in their quest for faith. If you don't care for the one I've suggested, you'll be sure to discover one that suits if only you look and listen. Many a man like you has begun to solve the problem by the method of substitution. You can, if you wish, Make A itself your higher power. That group of drunks, right? Good orderly direction. Group of drunks. Here, a very large group of people who have solved their alcohol problem. That's a key thought, isn't it? They solved it. In this respect, they are certainly a power greater than you who have not even come close to a solution. Surely you can have faith in them. Even this minimum of faith will be enough. You will find many members who have crossed the threshold just this way. All of them will tell you that. Once across, their faith broadened and deepened. Relieved of the alcohol obsession, their lives unaccountably transformed. And that's so critical in this. Unaccountably. We can't put a finger on it. Other people notice we're different first. And then we notice we're different. They came to believe in a higher power. And most of them began to talk of God. Consider next the plight of those who once had faith but have lost it. There will be those who have drifted into indifference, those filled with self-sufficiency who have cut themselves off. I don't need it anymore, right? Those who have become prejudiced against the religion and those who are downright defiant because God has failed to fulfill their demands. I tell you, I tip really well. I don't know why God won't do what I want him to do. I sat in that front row at church. I gave and I tithed and I volunteered. Why don't I get what I want, right? Can AA experience tell all these that they may still find a faith that works? <clears throat> yes. 
Sometimes AA comes harder to those who have lost or rejected faith than those who never had any faith at all. For they think they have tried faith, like there's only one path, and they had the path. It was the correct path, the right brand of religion, right? The right building, the right dude and a book and the building that you had to whisper in. They had the dude, the book, and the building, and it was the correct one, and it didn't work so. Therefore, all faith is bad. That's, that's a lot of people. Hmm. Man. So it goes on. It says, for they think they have tried faith and found it wanting. They have tried the way of faith and the way of no faith. Since both ways have proved bitterly disappointing, they've concluded that there is no place whatever for them to go. The roadblocks of, oh, here, here's something important, isn't it? The roadblocks of indifference, fancied self-sufficiency, prejudice, and defiance. That's indifference. If you feel a sense of indifference, if you think you can do this on your own, self-sufficiency, prejudice that you've already made all these decisions and you're done making any more decisions. I've already decided and I'm right and that's that. Hmm. And defiance. It doesn't matter what you say. I'm not going to do it. Often prove more solid and formidable for these people than any erected by the unconvinced agnostic or even the militant atheist. Religion says the existence of God can be proved. The agnostic says it can't be proved, and the atheist claims proof of the non-existence of God. Obviously, the dilemma of the wanderer from faith is that of profound confusion. He thinks himself lost to the comfort of any conviction at all. He cannot attain in even a small degree the assurance of the believer, the agnostic, or the atheist. Here's a great line. He, the prejudiced one, the one that had faith and lost it, he is the bewildered one. Any number of AAs can say to the drifter, yes, we were diverted from our childhood faith too. The overconfidence of youth was too much for us. Of course, we were glad that good home and religious training had given us certain values. We were still sure that we ought to be fairly honest, tolerant, and just, that we ought to be ambitious and hardworking. We became convinced that such simple rules of fair play and decency would be enough, that virtue is enough. And it probably isn't. And this thing's in quotes here, so it goes on. As material success founded upon no more than these ordinary attributes began to come to us, we felt we were winning at the game of life. This was exhilarating, and it made us happy. Why should we be bothered with theological abstractions and religious duties, or with the state of our souls here or hereafter? The here and now was good enough for us. The will to win would carry us through. But then alcohol began to have its way with us. Finally, when all our scorecards read zero, that bottom in the first step, and we saw that one more strike would put us out of the game forever, we faced death, long terms in jail, no relationships, financial ruin. We had to look for our lost faith. I mean, seriously, what do you got left, right? Your whole life's becoming invisible, isn't it? You might as well turn towards this invisible power. It was in AA that we rediscovered it, and so can you. So that quote, is it seems to be intended, and I believe it's intended to be the voice of AA itself, of every member in AA. Now we come to another kind of problem, the intellectually self-sufficient man or woman, the intellectuals, the people that study things that happen naturally. Hmm. To these, many AAs can say, yes, we were like you. 
far too smart for our own good. You'll hear that said too, and I believe that's true. It was also said to me. I've seen people that weren't so smart get sober, but I've seen plenty of people too smart to get sober. Hmm. And this is the cornerstone of that. They can't even really get behind step two in this idea, the open-mindedness necessary in order to achieve a happy, joyous, free life. To these, many AAs can say, yes, we were like you, far too smart for our own good. We love to have people call us precocious. Yeah, we love to be the craziest drinker or being the outcast that we're different and unique and we bring something to the table the others don't. Hmm. We used our education to blow ourselves up into prideful balloons, though we were careful to hide this from others. Secretly, we felt we could float above the rest of the folks on our brain power alone. Scientific progress told us that there was nothing man couldn't do. Knowledge was all-powerful. Intellect could conquer nature. Since we were brighter than most folks, so we thought, the spoils of victory would be ours for the thinking. The God of intellect displaced the God of our fathers. But again, John Barleycorn had other ideas. We who had won so handsomely in the walk turned into all-time losers. Alcohol doesn't care how smart you are. We saw that we had to reconsider or die. We found many in AA who once thought as we did. They helped us get down to our right size. By their example, they showed us that humility and intellect could be compatible, provided we placed humility first. When we began to do that, we received the gift of faith, a faith which works. This faith is for you, too. So it can be done. You're not trying to say you're stupid or that you're wrong about everything, but it is entirely possible that some very long-held beliefs are going to change as you work through these steps. We go on. Another crowd of AAs says, We were plumb disgusted with religion and all its works. The Bible, we said, was full of nonsense. We could cite it chapter and verse, and we couldn't see the Beatitudes for the begats. In spots, its morality was impossibly good. In others, it seemed impossibly bad. But it was the morality of the religionists themselves that really got us down. We gloated over the hypocrisy, bigotry, and crushing self-righteousness that clung to so many believers, even in their Sunday best. How we love to shout the damaging fact that millions of the good men of religion were still killing one another off in the name of God. This all meant, of course, that we had substituted negative for positive thinking. After we came to AA, we had to recognize that this trade had been an ego-feeding proposition. We're just trying to prop ourselves up. The therapist might say, prop yourself up by putting others down. That by putting other people down, we hold ourselves into a higher Esteem, that's a pretty crummy way to do it, for sure. In belaboring the sins of some religious people, we could feel superior to all of them. Moreover, we could avoid looking at some of our own shortcomings. So what? Look at my own shortcomings. You mean I'm not the straight-up, super honest, moral person that this person, this religious person claimed to be? I mean, what? Right? No, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. Imagine the alcoholic condemning the very things about themselves they see in religion. It goes on, self-righteousness, the very thing that we had contemptuously condemned in others was our 
own besetting evil we see in other people our own character defects. This phony form of respectability was our undoing so far as faith was concerned. But finally, driven to AA, we learned better. There's another thing. As psychiatrists have often observed, defiance is the outstanding characteristic of many an alcoholic. So it's not strange that lots of us have had our day at defying God himself. Sometimes it's because God has not delivered us the good things of life, which we specified. I gave him a list. (laughs) As a greedy child makes an impossible list for Santa Claus. More often, though, we had met up with some major calamity and to our way of thinking lost out because God deserted us. The girl we wanted to marry had other notions. We prayed God that she'd change her mind, but she didn't. We prayed for healthy children and were presented with sick ones or none at all. We prayed for promotions at business and none came. Loved ones upon whom we heartily depended were taken from us by so-called acts of God. Then we became drunkards and asked God to stop that, but nothing happened. This was the unkindest cut of all. Damn this faith business, we said. When we encountered AA, the fallacy of our defiance was revealed. At no time had we asked what God's will was for us. Instead, we had been telling him what it ought to be. No man we saw could believe in God and defy him, too. Belief meant reliance, not defiance. In AA, we saw the fruits of this belief. Men and women spared from alcohol's final catastrophe. We saw them meet and transcend, get above, get past, transcend their other pains and trials. Things like death and not getting relationships and not getting promotions. We saw them calmly accept impossible situations, seeking neither to run nor recriminate. This was not only faith, it was faith that worked under all conditions. Faith that worked under all conditions. We soon concluded that whatever price in humility we must pay, we would pay. So there's a price to be paid for this. We're going to learn about it in the other steps. Now let's take the guy full of faith, but still seeking of alcohol. He believes he is devout. His religious observance is scrupulous. He's sure he still believes in God, but suspects that God doesn't believe in him. He takes pledges and more pledges. He swears off, right? I'm going to do this for you, God. Following each, he not only drinks again, but acts worse than the first time. Valiantly, he tries to fight alcohol, imploring God's help, but the help doesn't come. What then can be the matter? The clergymen, doctors, friends, and families, the alcoholic who means well and tries hard is a heartbreaking riddle. To most AAs, he is not. The names change, the faces change, alcoholic behavior, that doesn't change. No riddle here. There are too many of us who have been just like him and have found the riddle's answer. This answer has to do with the quality of faith, the quality of faith rather than its quantity of faith. Quality over quantity, faith. This has been our blind spot. We supposed we had humility when we really hadn't. We supposed we had been serious about religious practices when, upon honest appraisal, we found we had been only superficial or going to the other extreme. We had wallowed in emotionalism and had mistaken it for true religious feelings. In both cases, we have been asking for something for nothing. Such an important statement. We are seeing what we could steal from the world. 
what we could demand from it, but we were unable to pay the price for it. Something for nothing. The fact was we really hadn't cleaned house so that the grace of God could enter us and expel the obsession. In no deeper meaningful sense have we ever taken stock of ourselves, made amends to those we had harmed, we're busting through some of the steps, or freely given to any other human being without any demand for reward. We had not even prayed rightly. There is a right way to pray. We had always said, grant me my wishes instead of thy will be done. The love of God and man we understood not at all. Therefore, we remained self-deceived and so incapable of receiving enough grace to restore us to sanity. Few indeed are the practicing alcoholics who have had any idea how irrational they are or seeing their irrationality can bear to face it. And that's what we're going to help you with. That's what the group is for. That's what a sponsor helps you do. It doesn't have to always be a punch in the face, though sometimes it will be. It can just be something where you gain realization, the volitional type, the educational variety of learning about this higher power. That works just as well, and that's true of so many AAs. Some will be willing to term themselves problem drinkers, but cannot endure the suggestion that they are in fact mentally ill. They are abetted in this blindness by a world which does not understand the difference between sane drinking and alcoholism. Sanity is defined as soundness of mind. Yet no alcoholic, soberly analyzing his destructive behavior, whether the destruction fell on the dining room furniture or his own moral fiber, can claim soundness of mind for himself. Therefore, finally, we're wrapping it up here. Step two is the rallying point for all of us. Whether agnostic, atheist, or former believer, we can stand together here. We stand together because none of us have the right conception. None of us have properly employed this. We've gone after it with selfish, selfish attitudes and, and this idea of entitlement to this higher power that we're owed something, unwilling to pay the price for wanting something for nothing. That's the togetherness. We all did that one same thing. True humility and an open mind can lead us to faith. There's your answer. That's everything we did today summed up. True humility and an open mind can lead us to faith. And every AA meeting, every AA meeting is an assurance that God will restore us to sanity if we rightly relate ourselves to him. So as we get into a step two discussion, I know that was a long read. Just think about this for a second, that we're going to rely on this higher power to arrange things for us, a lot like a little Debbie cake. You know, I want to deny the higher power. I want to think of this world as just being, you know, the way it is by some fact of cause and effect in a physical sense, right? That there's some mathematical equation that the supercomputer is going to be built that somehow or another, we're going to be able to put this together. But the little Debbie cake or the hostess cake, we all have a favorite. And I want to just Draw this illustration for you real quick before discussion. Little Debbie Cakes, picture your favorite one. Picture your very favorite one. It might be a Swiss roll or a Star Crunch or the Zebra Cakes or whatever it is, or some sort of holiday specialty one, right? The Christmas tree cakes or the little pumpkin ones. It doesn't matter. Or your favorite hosted cake. My, mine, Susie Q's, you know, can be whatever. Doesn't matter. Think of, picture it in your mind. And picture a perfect day. You wake up in the morning, you're like, hey, man, I'm going down to get my favorite cake. I'm going to get a, you know, if you're in the Southern Appalachians, you might get like 16 bottles of Mountain Dew 
and you're going to go home when the weather's perfect and sit on the porch and eat them and you get in your car and you cruise on down to the store and you know right where those cakes are at your favorite grocery store. I'm sure you can picture it right now. And you go right to that section and you see your star crunches or oatmeal pies or whatever it is, your zebras that you love. And you grab them and you march on up to the cash register and you put it down and there's a person there and they got all the stuff together and they go beep, beep. Or these days you might have to do it yourself and you go beep, beep. And you do it and you put this thing in there in a machine like a card or you give them cash or something and you hop back in your car and you go home and you sit on your porch. You're like, wow, it's a perfect, perfect day. Never realizing or giving any credit to or acknowledging what went into your little tiny moment of bliss? Because a little Debbie cake is something that transcends generations. It's something that transcends continents. The planning that went into that cake, all the raw ingredients come from different places. The ideas that are behind it in marketing, the patents that are involved with it as far as proprietary recipes, proprietary packaging. Who invented the marketing? Who made the ink on the box? Who designed the pictures, let alone the trucks, the manufacturing, the machines that put it together, the training of the people? How many different places? How many different intellectuals? How many different people of all sorts of varieties have come together for this moment of your enjoying a blissful cake on your patio with, you know, four gallons of Mountain Dew, right? And when you think about this, I want you to think about one thing. You had nothing to do with it. You simply had the ability to enjoy it. And you rely on this to such a degree that if you had gone to that end cap or that display case in your favorite grocery store to get your favorite cake and it wasn't there, boy, you'd be a little bit upset about that. You'd be like, How in the world can they be out of oatmeal pies? Where in the world are the zebra cake? I mean, come on, seriously, how could this be? You rely on this complex system that transcends geographical areas, age generations, intellectual capacities, professional skills, different things just overlap to create this experience for you. And therein lies this question, what coordinated all that? These people don't know each other. They didn't plan to coordinate this in their lives. They didn't grow up with the mission of, I'm going to perform my job so well that all the connecting pieces however far removed work, just give that some thought. Something as simple as a little Debbie cake, that if that doesn't come off the way you want it to, it may be enough to get up under your skin. That's how reliant we are on this higher power. And it's going on around you all the time. As we extrapolate that off, the cash machine or the cashier work, when you put the fanciful money card into the other machine, it gave you credit, lets you walk out the door. All these things worked and there's so many people involved. There's so many different things involved. The laws of nature, spirit, beliefs, ethnicities, countries, so much involved. And we just take it for granted. And in step two, what we can do is just have that same blind idea that the little Debbie cake's going to be there and have that same blind ambition. I just want to get it. Sobriety is going to be there. And if you just want to get it, be willing to drive to the store. Be willing to get out of your car and walk to that end cap. Be willing to do what is required of you to get what you want. And you will get it. And you can rely on that. So as we talk today about our higher power, my hope is that we can stay away from theological ideas of the higher power and maybe talk of the experience of convergence. Talk about how you've ended up here. 
Was it the court system? Was it a series of debacles that have culminated in your need for change? What is it that has landed you into AA? Did you have any control over those circumstances? How did the world arrange itself to land you here? How have you been rendered powerless, humiliated, desperate, ready? I hope you guys have a great discussion.